If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Someone did rise from the dead. And many of us, sadly, are still not persuaded. The words of the Lord ring true here, except we can substitute Moses and the prophets with Christ's bride, the church. If they will not listen to the church, neither will they be persuaded by Jesus Christ himself. See, sometimes we can fool ourselves the same way that this rich man fooled himself. He thought that if only God made it just a little bit clearer, then I would live differently. If only my brothers uh, were, were able to see what the eternal consequences were of God respecting their choice to reject him, then they would change their ways and they would live differently. And yet very often that's a false hope. We think, if only I lived in the time of Jesus and were able to meet him face to face, I would be totally devoted to him. But as it is, it's kind of tough. Or we might think, maybe later, at a different time in my life, maybe it'll be a little bit clearer for me, and then I'm going to really just go all in with my faith. That day might not come. No, the Lord has given us his church as his mouthpiece. Just as he gave the law and the prophets preceding him, so now he has the church to be able to explain and expand upon and apply to our modern situation the timeless teachings of Christ. But sometimes it's tough for us because we don't get it. We, we, we don't get what the point is of this rule or of that one. We might think that this is just a, a set of man-made commandments that we can kind of take or leave just like we do uh, any other opinion of any other person. But the church is in a different category. Yeah, filled with imperfect people for sure. But it is Christ's chosen mouthpiece, his very body extended through time and space. His beloved bride for whom he shed his blood. And so ignoring the church's teachings doesn't help us at all. If anything, it's ignoring Christ himself. But still, so often when we just take one teaching in isolation, we might think, well, that seems like an outdated rule, or that doesn't really correspond to my situation. I can kind of ignore that. And it's because we don't realize what the point of it all is. What's the point of it all? heaven right just as many of the rules that parents have for their children is so that their children not only in the short term have a good and safe life but so that in the long term they can end up flourishing for the entirety of their lives you teach your children to uh, have respect to have work ethic to read and to write not just for the sake of those things but for the sake of the life that that opens up for them Well, the church, our mother, God, our father, speaking through her, gives us rules that are for the sake of our flourishing here in this life and an eternity in the next. It makes uh, our Lord makes it so clear in the gospel that there are at the end of the day, two options. We can choose to be with God or without Him. And He respects our choice for all eternity. He's not going to force Himself upon us if we have spent our entire life saying, No, I don't want you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to think about you. Uh, maybe later, someday later, I might like 
think about talking to you, but not right now. Well, if we do that throughout our lives, we've made our choice clear. If we have habituated ourselves to not see God, to not want to look at him, he's not going to force us into that blessed sight when we breathe our last. So how do we choose God? How do we do it? We do it through thousands of little choices every single day. It's not just in one blessed moment where we say, Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior, I'm good now. It's that that has to be ratified in the way you think, what you watch, what you listen to, how you speak, who you're around, the decisions you make, those moments of temptation. Do I, do I uh, engage the battle and say, yeah, it's tough, but you know what? It's worth it. I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's very difficult right now. Or do I just... At that exact moment, just give up and just say, like, oh, I'm being tempted. I guess I got to do this. Sorry, God, you'll understand. I'll go to confession. Do we even put up a fight? Because, see, another way to read this parable of the Lord, of Lazarus and the rich man, is to just simplify it to, oh, yeah, rich people bad, poor people good. That's not what the Lord's saying here. No, the rich man's sin was not that he had money, but that he did not see God in his neighbor. We have no idea what their relationship was. It could have been that the rich man was actually okay to Lazarus. Like, on a human level, he might have been very polite. He might have said, well, hey, Lazarus, how are you doing? Well, that's good. Okay, i got to be on my way. i got more purple garments to buy, but uh, God bless you. I I hope you're fine. But he, he maybe treated him cordially, maybe even politely, but he did not take that extra step to see God in Lazarus. He didn't respect him and his dignity to that degree to where he realized an encounter with him is an encounter with God himself. And so who I see lying on the street there is not just some bum. That is my Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to do something, even if it's a prayer at this moment or if it is tending to his physical needs in some way. Maybe trying to help his situation or even just the kindness of that moment giving him the attention that is his due. The rich man's sin was that he did not have his eyes open to see God in another. And that's often where we go wrong as well. Heaven is chosen with a thousand daily choices. But we're not going to make the right choice in all of those unless we make that first choice to directly look for God in prayer. If we don't have a prayer life, we might as well just, just quit. <laughs> right? That, that, that doesn't mean you're quitting. Like, don't leave. <laughs> Stay, because we're going to build up a prayer life. What does a prayer life mean? It doesn't mean, oh, every day I'm doing hours and hours of these devotions and those. It means at the very least having five minutes where you say, I'm going to disconnect. This is probably, I spend more time on commercials in between the YouTube videos that I'm watching then I, I, I do on prayer. Okay, then something's got to change. So I can give five minutes to the Lord. And in those five minutes, I can say to him, this is my heart, this is where it's at. These are my hopes, these are my dreams, these are my fears, my worries. This is my day today. Where, where can I meet you today? I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to have an appointment with this person, super tough. Uh, I'm going to grab lunch with this person. Oh, excellent. I love hanging out with her. 
Uh, I'm going to, after that, uh, go for a run. And then I'm going to do this. You plan out your day with the Lord and you already set up your appointments with Him. For everything that you will experience, you say, God, I want to look for you there and I want to find you there. I want to experience you there. And at the, at the end of the day, where did I see you? Where did I meet you? Right? We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating that the, the life of prayer is something that you can start so simply. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be great. What it needs to be is a heart-to-heart with Jesus, where, where you say to him, Lord, I, I want to encounter you today because my heart longs for that. I need that peace of your presence in the midst of the chaos of my life. So that first choice is to prayer. And then that second choice is to open our eyes to see him in every encounter. Prayer allows us to do that, and then we're changed. Right? Sometimes we treat prayer as if it were something that is meant to change the situation. We treat prayer like magic. Magic is something where you are trying to manipulate forces in order to change someone else or something else. (laughs) That's not prayer. No, no, no. Prayer is we go to God just like we go to Dad. We say, hey, Dad, can I have this thing? And Dad just kind of laughs and says, yeah, no, (laughs) sorry, you can't. Uh, And what he says after that is because this and that and this other thing. But usually we tune him out after that and we're like, you're such a mean dad, you don't understand. But with God, the point in prayer is not that he changes situations, that he changes other people, that he gives us stuff. No, the point of prayer is that you are changed. Your vision is opened up to see God in his providential work, even in some of the things that are causing you suffering. Your vision is changed to where you can see God in these other people that up to this point had just been obstacles to your joy. Now they can be opportunities for holiness. And so what does it look like to be a person so changed by prayer to where in the thousand little choices of every single day we can choose heaven rather than hell? Well, St. Paul gives us a beautiful example of it in the sixth chapter of his first letter to Timothy. And here I think this is one of those beautiful letters for parents to read. Because parents have so many worries. You you receive these children and you thought, wow, this is a lifetime of work now ahead of me. This is a huge responsibility. This is a great honor and a great joy. But you'd be lying if you didn't say sometimes you stay up at night thinking, have I done my job right? Like, it seems like they're just kind of checked out when it comes to the faith. And I'm trying to teach them, but I don't want to push them too much. But and then maybe you have adult children who have completely left. And you think, what what could I have done differently? And, And you just have this enormous pressure because you realize that God invited you to help this beloved child of his to reach heaven. And you think, what more could I have done? Well, the letter of St. Paul to Timothy is great for you. Because uh, Paul had a love for Timothy like that of a spiritual father. He cared for the well-being of Timothy. And all that he could do was show him the way. Say, "This this is how you follow Jesus. This is how you spread the good news. I'm going to try to model that and I'm going to do it imperfectly. At the end of the day, it's your free will to choose this or to reject this. But all I can do is offer it. And so in the letters of Paul to Timothy, we have beautiful prayers that that, uh, Paul says for Timothy that are good for every parent to be able to have, to pray for their children, to talk to God about them more than they talk to them about God. But then also in this particular one, we have advice. 
And this is advice that Paul gives to all of us. He's showing us what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be one who is choosing heaven every single day. He says, but you, man of God, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So you all probably tuned out the moment that you heard that it was going to be a list. Right? When you heard righteousness, devotion, faith, after that I was like, wah, 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 wah. But don't skip over the lists because the lists are descriptions of what it means to be living a flourishing Christian life. Of what we, or how we are called to be in order to live in the peace of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read the list again. But you, man or woman of God, pursue righteousness. Devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. There are those six virtues. They're not exhaustive. There are different lists in there, but they're the ones that God calls us to reflect upon today. And I hope that at least one of them made you shuffle in your seat. I hope that at least one of these stirred something in you where you're like, oh, I don't have one. I hope nobody realizes I don't have that virtue. Where do I get that virtue? How do I do it? Well, first of all, you beg God for it. Because he's a good father who gives good gifts. Right? We might think, well, didn't you just say God doesn't always give me what I ask for? Well, sometimes what you're asking for is the wrong thing. Any of these things, you asking for that, that's exactly what God wants to give you. But we might think, well, I've been asking for patience for years now, and all he gave me was annoying family. (laughs) Well, that's how he gives you patience sometimes. (laughs) But we can reflect now together on these six virtues. And I hope that at least one of them stirs something in you to where when you approach the Lord of all virtue, the source of all goodness at the altar, when you receive goodness itself on your tongue, or when you receive the blessing of God, the giver of all good gifts, you may realize he's giving you that virtue. You have to approach him begging for it, and then he gives it. So first, righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to be living in accord with the law of God. It means to be in communion with Him. To have a certain peace within you. That that, that you are at peace with God, at peace with others, and at peace with your own self. It's a tall order. There's so much that goes into it, so I'll, I'll focus on one aspect of it. Integrity. Right? You can't say, I'm righteous, if you're a different person in every situation. And so we can ask God, God, am I, am I the same me even when the circumstances change? Like, I get that I'm going to act a little bit differently in church than I do when I'm walking, watching the Packers game afterward, right? There, there's going to be something different there, but is it a different me? Because that's a problem. Am I a different person in front of my family as I am in front of my coworkers? Am I a different person in front of my coworkers as I am in front of this group of friends or that group of friends? After all, having all of these multiple me's that tears me apart. I don't know who I am. And that's not a very peaceful way to live. So maybe today we're asking for that grace of being able to live righteousness, right? To be a at peace with all the different aspects of who we are in such a way that in every situation we're the same person. We have integrity. Devotion. Here, that's something that 
sadly, there are times when I'm more devoted to a culture than I am to my God. I might be more devoted to a sports team than I am to my God. I might be more devoted to my family at times than I am to my God, to my works or to my hobbies, to hunting or camping or fishing or whatever the case may be, shopping. Any of the above, sometimes we end up being more devoted to something than to the someone who loves us more than we can imagine. And God calls us back to devotion. What does devotion look like? Have any of you met my dog, Cora? Yeah, she's hopelessly devoted to me. And I don't know why, because I'm not a very good dog owner. Right? There are going to be times that I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot to feed her. Eh, like, not habitually, don't call animal control on me. Uh, well, I'll just realize, like, I don't take her out for walks as much as I would like to. I don't treat her nearly as well as God treats me, and yet she's more devoted to me than I am to God. How do I know that? Around the house, she's hopelessly devoted to me. She will follow me from uh, one room to the next. When I'm gone for a day or two, when I come back, it's as if this was the resurrection and it's Easter joy. <laughs> and I wish that I had that kind of devotion to the Lord. Because for her, it's not, is he paying attention to me? Even if I'm paying attention to something else, she just wants to be in my presence. Were it so that I have that kind of devotion to the Lord, where I don't need fireworks, I don't need some mystical experience, I don't even need you to give me stuff. I just want to be with you because I love you and because I recognize how much you love me. Devotion. Faith. Am I willing to have my reason be stretched to truly learn what it is that God has revealed about himself, to try and understand my faith by studying it? Rather than just saying, yeah, parts of it are cool, but other parts, I don't know. Do I look into those teachings of the church that I have the greatest problem with? Right? Maybe it's about cohabitation. Maybe I'm thinking, ah, that's kind of outdated. It doesn't matter if we live together. It makes more practical sense. Or do I look into, what does my faith teach me about this? Or about paying a just wage to my employees. It might be, ah, I don't know about that because times are kind of tough. And it, cutting corners. Cheating people. Lying, little white lies, stealing. There are so many things that my faith teaches me that I don't want to look at that. I don't want to uh, grow in my faith by growing in my understanding. And so instead, I just don't even think about what the church wants me to do in situation A, B, C, or D. And my faith kind of dwindles rather than growing. Love. Do I love people in my life the way that Jesus loves me? Right? Does, if you looked at how I treat my family, in my mind, in my words, and in my actions, does it look anything like that? If not, I might not be doing it right. Now, now this doesn't mean that we are called to be uh, doormats and people just walk all over us. It doesn't mean that we have no boundaries or suffer abuse in silence. No, 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 no. That's not how Jesus lived. No, Jesus was able to call people on their stuff. He was very clear. But he loved selflessly. He put the needs of the other before his own desires. And he was able to, uh, to do that because he was honest about what his desires were. It, is that how we treat each other? If not, we ask for that virtue. Just like we can ask for devotion, for faith, for righteousness, for patience. 
There we might think, what is it that's causing me to be impatient? Is it that I'm in such a rush, hurried from one thing to the next because I have this impossible expectation that I'm going to accomplish my entire to-do list each day? Or do I need to look at that to-do list and realize, I got I to gotta whittle that down to three because I can't do more than that. Because when I try to do 3,000, I'm constantly in a rush and I'm impatient with everybody and I'm short with all the people that I love the most and life just passes me by. And then finally, gentleness. Yes, we're called to preach the truth. We're called to preach it in love. In the, the, the polarization that we have within the church, within society, we've thrown gentleness out the window. If we disagree, we're going to disagree and make it personal and make it ugly and nasty because this person voted for this person. Instead of realizing, like, whoa, 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 that person is beloved of God. I can disagree vehemently, but I can still have gentleness. I can still have this desire for that person to be well. I can still want to not hurt that person at the core of their being, but instead want to present the truth with as much kindness and compassion as possible. So there are marching orders. We have these virtues that we want to acquire that our Lord wants to give. Because living out these virtues, we choose heaven. And heaven is what we were made for. An eternal closeness to the God who has come so close to us at every Mass. We approach Him. We ask for whatever virtue we need the most. We work on it this week. And we make a point to see Him in every encounter and to choose heaven at every turn.